Well, today, um, today Tab asked me, uh, I don't know why, because Tab taught me on so many of these talks. Actually, you know what, so let me just say this in passing. Um, you know, like last night, uh, I was talking a little bit at the youth retreat um, about how the gospel and our faith in Christ affects issues in everyday life, including conflict. I mean, I learned that stuff from the Bible, kind of, but in a lot of ways, really, I, I learned that stuff from Tab and his teaching and his pastoral care in my life. And so it really is kind of a joke when I come out here and preach to you all, because really just Tab and, and my dad taught me like everything I know, and they're both here. So it's just kind of a joke that I just get to be like, these guys gave it to me, and now I stand up here and give it to you. And this is another case of that, where it's kind of a joke. I just get to stand up here and pass on to you things I've received from the Bible, from God, and, and from your leaders here, and I just get to speak it back to you all. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, about the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So as, as Christians, we believe in that there is one and only one true and living God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Each person, the Father, Son, and Spirit, is truly God, and each is real, personal, and relational, which is to say there's a relationship that we can and are meant to have with the Father, with the Son, and also with the Spirit of God. And that's what I want to talk a little bit today about, our, our relationship with God's Spirit. One pastor, J.D. Greer, shares a true story of a young guy named Brennan. Brennan was involved in church through high school and through his college years. In fact, during his college years, he was a little bit of a, a leader in some ways in his church. But there was a dark secret that he kept hidden in his life. That secret involved sinful desires of the flesh that he fed by going online and finding stuff online that he knew he shouldn't be indulging in. And occasionally in his college years, these desires of the flesh led still further into occasional hookups as well. Following the desires of the flesh led him to a place of feeling empty, feeling guilty, feeling at times even hopeless. Eventually, Brennan made the courageous and life-changing decision to open up these things that he had kept hidden for so long and to let others know about what he had been keeping hidden in the dark. First he talked to a campus ministry leader and then he talked to his pastor at the church he was going to and then he got the help of a professional Christian counselor as well and eventually he, he gathered a group of, a certain group of friends who were committed to walking with him, walking alongside him as he sought to make progress in the Christian life. And about eight months later, Brennan was a changed man, a deeply changed man. And at his pastor's house, he was asked what he thought had made such a difference in his life over just the past eight or nine months. What had he learned? that had most contributed to the obvious transformation he'd experienced in his life? What did you learn that really made it possible for you to make so much progress in such a short amount of time? Brennan thought about that question, and he replied, quote, Well, 
I didn't learn anything new. I just learned to lean on the Holy Spirit. I didn't learn anything new. I just learned to lean on the Holy Spirit. You see, Brennan knew about the Holy Spirit. He believed that the Holy Spirit was God. He believed that the Holy Spirit had come into his life when he had first trusted in Christ. But up until this point in his walk with the Lord, up until this point in discipleship, Brennan's awareness about the Spirit did not translate into a real, meaningful, daily relationship of dependence on the Spirit. He could talk about God's Spirit, but he didn't rely on God's Spirit like his life actually depended on it. And Brennan had come to realize that when it came to fighting the desires of the flesh, he needed more than just some right answers. He needed more than just the correct facts. He needed power. He needed power from above in order to fight the battles that were going on within him. He needed more than just wisdom principles. He needed personal help from God above. And here's how Brennan himself put it. He said, these temptations, on this side of of having grown, he said, these temptations are still with me. And I suppose they always will be, but... I've found in the Spirit of God a power more potent than the lusts of my flesh. Being filled with God the Holy Spirit has done more for me than any number of seminars or coping techniques ever had. Brennan's story raises an important question for us. The question is simply this, do you know God's Spirit like that? Do you know the Holy Spirit like that in in your life? Do you know God the Spirit not just as an idea, not just as kind of a doctrine so that you could write some answers on paper about Him? Do you know God's Spirit as the personal and life-changing presence of God in your life? Do you know the Spirit like that? It may surprise some of us To find out that this is exactly what Jesus intends for all of his disciples. He intends for us to be filled with his spirit. This is part of what Jesus invites us into when he says, follow me. He invites us into a a daily lifestyle, not only of knowing him and knowing his father, but of being filled with the spirit of God. And living in communion with God's Spirit who dwells within us on a daily basis. This is, this is part of what Jesus intended for us when he said, come and follow me. And my goal for us today as we take some time to look together at God's Word and some of what God's Word has to say about the work of God's Spirit in, in the life of the disciples of Jesus Here's my goal, here's my hope, here's my aim, here's my prayer for you. I hope that we'll go home today cherishing, cherishing this kind of real, vibrant, dynamic relationship with God's Spirit. That's my goal for us today. Simply put, I hope we're going to go home cherishing a real, vibrant, dynamic relationship with God's Spirit in our own lives. Let's listen this morning, if you turn with me to John chapter 14, 
John chapter 14, we're going to look at John 14, verses 15 through 17. The setting is what we often call the upper room discourse. Jesus is in the upper room. It's on the night when he was betrayed. And in these precious last few hours before departing from his disciples, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what will come after his departure. Jesus is not talking about secondary matters that people are just going to squabble about and aren't really all that important. Jesus in these last few precious hours is talking about urgently important truth that his people will need for life after his departure. Let's listen in to what Jesus says to a little bit of what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14 and I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says to disciples, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. This is the reading of God's word. And God, would you bless the reading of your word this morning? God, I really do pray that as we take some time to pay attention to these precious words of Jesus, that we would go away closer to you. Father, I pray we go away closer to you. Jesus, I pray we go away closer to you. Spirit, I pray that we go away knowing and cherishing your presence in our lives. We pray that in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this little passage is beautifully deep, and I don't know that we're going to say everything uh, that we could say about it, but here's what I kind of want to do. I kind of want to show you three kind of theological observations from these verses, and then three applications, okay? So three observations, three applications here. So here's the first theological observation from what Jesus has to say in John 14, verses 15 through 17. Observation number one is this. The Spirit is a promised gift for disciples. The Spirit is a promised gift for disciples. Jesus promises the gift of the Spirit's presence, and this will be a gift of grace, A gift of grace rooted not in what you've done to earn the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, but it will be a gift of grace based on what? Based not on how we've lived our lives, but based on who Jesus is, what he's done, his grace, his heart, and his asking on our behalf. You notice what's going on in the upper room discourse. Jesus isn't like, let me teach you all how to pray the right kind of prayer so that you can actually get really full of the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't pray the right kind of prayer for the Holy Spirit yourself, you're not going to have his fullness. No, Jesus is just like, I'm going to ask the Father for you and you're going to get the Spirit. It's a gift of grace intended for his disciples on the basis of Jesus' asking for us. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. It's as simple as this. This gift, though, we need to be clear, is not given equally to everybody in the world. Jesus is quite clear in these verses that it is given to those who follow Christ by faith. This gift will be given. Jesus is talking to those who love Him. He's not offering this promise to the world 
that is opposed to him, to those in the world who are opposed to him. In fact, in fact, this passage makes clear that the rest of the world, those who are opposed to God, they won't even recognize the Spirit of God. And to be sure, this gift of grace that Jesus is talking about here is not just for the the 12 disciples who are in the upper room with him. What kind of What kind of gift is this that Jesus is talking about? It's a gift that's meant to last, not for like the next few years for those 12 people. It's a gift that's meant to last forever, Jesus says at the end of verse 16. So as long as forever goes, I suppose, this gift of grace is is intended to be experienced by Jesus' disciples who love him and follow him by faith. Listen, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I know that one of the things that tends to happen is, we te- is some of us in this room are already going into this mode where we're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know if I'm really like the Holy Spirit kind of Jesus follower. There are like Jesus followers, and then there are like Holy Spirit Jesus followers. I don't know if I'm one of the Holy Spirit ones, because I've just, some people seem to get really excited when they talk about the Spirit. I just get nervous, you know? Or, or some people are like, you know, so I, I talk to some people who are really arrogant about the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to be like those arrogant people. Or I talk to some people, and they just dressed weird when they talked about the whole, you know, they had like funny looking clothes and funny look. I don't want to be the funny looking clothes and funny looking hair kind of Holy Spirit people. And so we get nervous and we think, like, like, you know, maybe I'm a Jesus follower, not sure if I'm a Holy Spirit person. Or maybe we take this in a different way. We're like, I wish I were a Holy Spirit person. But man, like when Tab preaches, the Holy Spirit is there. When the worship leader's up here leading worship, man, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. But me, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's ever done anything in my life. And listen, here's what I want to point out to you. is If, if you're a follower of Jesus, then these promises about the Holy Spirit are for you and they're for you today. Therefore, all of the disciples of Jesus, not just the small group leaders, not just the pastors, not just the super special people, whatever you define them as, the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace intended for every follower of Jesus. In fact, in fact, a few hundred years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Joel, a Jewish prophet named Joel who had something to say about this. He He understood that in in his days, hundreds of years before Jesus, among the people of God in the Old Testament, by and large, that kind of was how the Holy Spirit worked. The Holy Spirit really anointed David, but there wasn't a wide and deep move of the Spirit of God except kind of in these exceptionally gifted leaders. But Joel, writing in Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, foresaw a day that would come when the Spirit would not be reserved just for a few anointed leaders, but the Spirit of God would radically fill all of the people of God, from the really old people of God to the really young people of God. Men and women, leaders and servants alike would be filled radically with the Spirit of God. And so if you're here and you're like, man, but I'm getting older and back when I was young, the Holy Spirit... No, Joel was clear, is for the older ones. And if you're like a teenager here and you're like, I'm glad my parents get excited about the Holy... No, the Holy Spirit's for the teenagers who follow Jesus as well. 
If you're like, you know, I'm a leader, then the Spirit's for you. If you're just like, I'm not a leader, and I'm not sure I ever will be, the Spirit's for you too, for servants, for leaders, for everybody. This is what Joel foresaw. And then in Acts chapter 2, in the book of Acts, just a few, a few weeks after this passage that we're reading about here in John, a few weeks later, Peter gets up after Jesus has died on the cross for our sins and risen again in new life and ascended into heaven with his hands stretched out in blessing over his people. And then Peter gets up on this holiday of Pentecost and in Acts chapter 2, he starts preaching to the people and he says that stuff that Joel was talking about where the Spirit of God who used to rest on King David and great leaders like that, the Spirit of God would fill all the people. That's happening! Peter said, the good news is that's happening. God's spirit is filling all of his people today. And as part of that sermon that that Peter preached, he said this, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, you know what this has to do with you? He doesn't say, by the way, what this has to do with you is if you pray these exact words the way I tell you to pray them. Then you'll get the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, if you sing the chorus of this really hot worship song enough times, that's how you get the Spirit. You know what he says? He preaches to people and he says, listen, you know what you need to do in light of the fact that Jesus died and rose again and his promised Spirit is now being given to all his followers? He says, listen, repent. That's what you do. Repent of your sins. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're like, wasn't it more complex than that? But Jesus had said, I will pray for you. And you will receive my spirit. Peter got what Joel was talking about, what Jesus had taught to him. And so when he begins preaching to people who that day had had just come to believe in Jesus, he says, here's what you do, you repent. You get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's a really cool promise. As you turn away from your sins and trust in Jesus, you know what happens? God's spirit is going to dwell in you and fill you today. First theological observation, the Spirit is a promised gift of grace for all believers, for all who believe. Uh, Theological observation number two, I would put like this. The the Spirit is a continuation of Jesus' ministry. That might not make sense immediately, but give me a second. I think it'll start to make more sense. The Spirit is a continuation of Jesus' ministry. As Jesus promises, we're back to John chapter 14, upper room. As Jesus promises the gift of the Spirit, he describes the Spirit to his disciples in an interesting way. Back there in verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Okay, so let's pause for a second. What's the another thing? So if there's another helper, who was the helper that they knew about already? The answer is Jesus. See, for the past three years at this point, the disciples of Jesus had been walking with Jesus day after day after day. And they heard his teaching, which was powerful. But then they also talked with him and walked with him. 
and interacted with him, and, and they learned from him everything they needed to know, not just at the general principle level, but down to the details of daily life. And some of us, as Christians, we kind of think, man, that must have been so awesome to have Jesus, like, walking along right beside me, and like, you go to sleep, and Jesus is in the room next door. And you run into challenges, you know, and you wake up in the morning, you're like, man, I, I just got this worry on my heart. And you just go next door and say, Jesus, I need help with these worries on my heart. Or you're crying and you're just like, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this grief and this sorrow. Can you help me with the grief and the sorrow that I'm feeling? Or you hear Jesus' teaching about forgiving your en- about loving your enemies, And forgiving those who have hurt you. And you're like, I don't like loving my enemies. I like hating my enemies, actually. And forgiving uh, people who have hurt me sounds like a nice idea. But have you ever tried it? You know? And so we go to Jesus and we say, I get the principle. But how do I actually do this now? And you can go and you can talk to Jesus and ask him your questions day by day. And when it comes to ministry, it's like, I want to, Jesus, I want to go and I want to minister to this person over here who, who's also a disciple and also hurting, but I don't really know how to help them. Jesus, how do I go and help that person? Or you say, Jesus, I want to start to spread the message of the gospel. How do I get the message to the other people in this neighborhood? And you just go and say, Jesus, can you tell me how to go and reach the other people in this neighborhood? But we just think, how cool would that have been to have Jesus near us Every single day as we're walking around. In fact, think about it this way for a minute. Let's just, I mean, you know, I, know maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel like this is unhelpful, but stick with me here for a second. You know, if Jesus came and stayed at your house this month, I don't know, maybe you have a guest room, maybe he's just sleeping on the couch. If Jesus is in the guest room or on the couch for the next month, what are the things you would want to talk to Jesus about over the next four weeks? Are there some things that you'd just be like, I need, I need some real help thinking about this issue. And gosh, if Jesus is sleeping on the couch, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> Are there some discipleship issues that you're like, I get the principles, I just don't know how to walk it out in daily life. Are there some like ministry things where you're like, yeah, I want to see something happening. I just don't know what to do or how to do it. I, I should ask Jesus if he's sleeping in the room next door. What are the things that you would want to talk to Jesus about if he was staying at your place for a month? But in this passage here, in John chapter 14, are you ready for this? Jesus promises that there's something even better than having Jesus stay on your couch for a month. There's something even better than having Jesus in the guest room to ask your questions to. Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper to be with you forever. He's been with you, he says to the disciples. But then in verse 17, he says, he's been dwelling with you, but he will be in you. Jesus is saying, this is something even better than having me in the room next door. And some of you are like, can you really say can you really say that theologically? That doesn't sound right to say that there's something better than Jesus in the guest room. That doesn't sound... But here's the thing. Jesus said it, not me. If you don't believe me, just turn the page over to John chapter 16, verse 7. 
John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus makes this bold and maybe even surprising claim. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And you see that word there? Jesus says, it's to your advantage. There's an advantage that we have that those disciples who had Jesus sleeping in the room next door did not have. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, you've got an an advantage over what John and Peter and James and those other guys had. You have Jesus not just near you, you now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. There's an advantage here. An advantage that continues what Jesus had already been doing as a helper for his people. But that leads to theological observation number three. This spirit who was a continuation of Jesus' ministry is also called... So theological observation number three. The spirit is called a helper. A helper. What does that mean? That the spirit is called another helper. What does that idea of being a helper mean? The Greek word translated helper is parakleton. Sometimes we kind of use an English word, paraclete, that's related to that. In the Greek language, a parakleton or a paraclete is someone who is called to someone else's aid in a time of need. So you got a time of need, you call someone to your aid for what you need in that specific moment. That's what a paraclete is. It's a hard word to translate. The ESV has a good translation helper, but you'll see a lot of different translations in a lot of different versions of the Bible because it's a hard word to translate. Some versions use the word comforter. Why? Because when you're in need and you call someone, you need them to comfort you. Sometimes you see the word encourager. I'll give you another encourager. There's another word that's used a little more rarely in some Bible translations that I think is very, very good. It's the word advocates. I'll give you another advocate on your behalf. Someone else who will speak up for you when you need someone to speak up for you and give you guidance. That's kind of what this, that kind of helps us flesh out a little bit what this idea of a helper is. I, I, I kind of started to see this a little more clearly in my life when My wife Katie and I, when our family was going through the first adoption process that we walked through, we've done a couple adoption processes now, and we love that, and that has that has stamped our life our lives in wonderful and beautiful ways. But the first adoption process we walked through when we began, we really didn't know what we were doing. We didn't even know where to begin. We knew that there was a lot that had to happen in order to adopt a child into our family. And we knew a few general principles about what, you know, you might need to expect in the adoption process. But we needed a ton of guidance. We needed more than a few general principles. We needed a lot of hand-holding and daily guidance in order to get from we want to adopt to actually having a baby in our arms. There's like a thousand things that needed to happen there. And we didn't even know what we didn't know. We didn't even know what we needed help with yet. And it, it turned out that the journey was even more difficult than we would have anticipated. There were tears involved with the journey. Heartache, disappointment, fears that we didn't anticipate. Thousands of decisions. 
fortunately, we had a consultant to walk through that process with us. Her name was Tracy. Every time we ran into challenges, we would call Tracy. She was always just a phone call or a text message away, providing not just kind of general principles like you could read about in a book or read about in a blog post, but providing personalized guidance for us in our situation. She often reached out to us, often in very timely ways, with words of encouragement that she would send us in an email or a text message that would give us the strength that we needed to keep on going. When we needed to take important steps, we ran them by Tracy first before just trying to do things based on our own assumptions or our own wisdom. We found out over time that Tracy, because of her connections with people in authority in different states and things like that, Tracy could make things happen that we couldn't make happen. She could get doors open for us that we couldn't open on our own. When we were heartbroken and we barely knew what to do next, we called Tracy and she grieved with us. You see, Tracy, Tracy was our paraclete through the adoption process. She wasn't just a book of generic wisdom about how to adopt. She was our helper. She was our comforter. She was our encourager. She was our guide. She was with us every step of the way, leading us and guiding us in how to move forward in this process that we were walking through. And in a real sense, Tracy was a picture for us of what it means to be a paraclete helper. In a way, Tracy was a picture of what the Holy Spirit does for me in my life today. Because just like in our adoption journey, I don't know if you feel this as well, there's like so many things where it's like, yeah, I, I get the idea in general, but how am I gonna navigate through this in the real life details? And there are those moments when it's like, I'm just grieving so deeply, I don't even know how I can keep taking the next steps forward. And I need help for things that I don't even know how to articulate. I need someone who knows more deeply than I can explain where I am and what kind of help and encouragement and guidance I need for today. So that's, what, that's what this another helper that Jesus gave does for us. He provides personal guidance, personal encouragement, personal challenges, personal warnings, personal direction for our lives as we travel in this important journey from where we are now until the day when we see God finally face to face. This is what the Spirit of God does for us. This is the role of God the Spirit in our lives as members of the family of God. The Spirit of God is encouraging, convicting, revealing, helping, empowering, and He's doing this as God with us. Not just as a discerning counselor, like you go and, you know, we, I love other friends in the church. I love professional counselors. They are such a gift from God. But this isn't just another person who's really discerning. This is God with us for our good and for God's glory. What an incredibly precious promise we have here then. When Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another Tracy. Better than that, another Jesus. Another one to continue the ministry of Jesus as a helper. Another helper, 
Another one to be God's personal presence with you and in you for this journey. What an incredibly precious promise this is. But what are we supposed to do? What do we do now? Knowing that Jesus has promised to us his spirit as a gift of grace, what do we do now? What do we do with this? I have three, uh, three challenges for us, or three application points. Three things, three kind of next steps we can take in light of this precious promise that we have of the Holy Spirit. Three, three things here. Number one, believe the promises. Number one, the first thing that we can do in light of what Jesus has promised about the Holy Spirit among us, the first thing we can do, the first thing we must do is this, believe those promises. Okay, so those of you who are note takers are going to love this. Those of you who aren't are going to go crazy for the next couple minutes here, okay? So let me list for you, though, six different promises of Jesus from the book of John. Six different promises about the Holy Spirit that we can embrace and believe. Six things that we, six things the disciples would have understood, right? Because when Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper, right? They've heard these promises. They know them. These are the promises they're going to embrace and believe. And they're promises that we're meant to embrace and believe for us today as the Spirit of God is living in us, okay? So six promises, right? Promise number one, he gives life. The Spirit gives life. Jesus says, uh, says in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then Jesus says a couple chapters later, John six sixty three, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So sometimes we find ourselves in those places where we just say, I feel dead inside. And maybe you showed up today saying, I feel spiritually dead. Listen to me, the Spirit gives life. And not just metaphorically. Spiritually dead people like you and I used to be before we came to believe in Jesus are brought from spiritual dead Not mostly dead, dead, spiritual dead to spiritual life. He gives life. That's a precious promise. Promise number two about what the Spirit does. He empowers true worship. John chapter 4 verses 23 and 24. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. What does the Holy Spirit do? One of these promises, He empowers true worship. Not just going through the motions worship. Not just doing what other people culturally do on Sunday morning worship. True worship is empowered by the Spirit. And so sometimes when we're showing up on Sunday morning, I'll just speak for myself, my expectations are just too low for what's going to happen when we get together on Sunday. Just show up and it's just like, we're going to do the stuff we always do. We're going to sing the songs. That's just going through the motions worship. And sometimes we feel like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if I just felt like real worship this morning? Too bad I don't. 
This is the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers true worship. And so if we show up and we just start doing the going through the motions worship, you know what we can do? We can turn back to God above and embrace this promise that the Spirit of God empowers and enlivens true worship among us. I need to keep moving on, but there's good stuff here, right? Promise number three. The Spirit satisfies our thirsty souls. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now pause there halfway through this verse for a second. You read that and you might just think, okay, this is just about... You know, kind of the effect of believing in Jesus is that dry, thirsty souls get filled up just by knowing about Jesus. End of story, right? That's not how the Bible understands this promise. The Apostle John, when he wanted to write this in Scripture, led by the Holy Spirit himself, when John wanted to write this in Scripture for us to understand what Jesus was talking about as he was making this promise of soul satisfaction for dry and thirsty souls, John adds this note in John 37, and he says, Now this, what? Whoever's thirsty, let him come and drink, and rivers of living water will flow out of his heart, right? This he said about the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were yet to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's the thing, listen, sometimes we show up and we kind of feel thirsty, dry, parched in our souls. Maybe because of a season of grieving, loss. Maybe it's just kind of in the middle of a kind of trial that isn't over in a few minutes, right? We talked about this really fast on Friday night at the youth retreat. Last week, I was puking my guts out with the stomach virus, not fun. But the thing is, with the stomach virus, like, you know it's going to be done really soon. It's, it's bad, but you just... Then there are trials that are the opposite of that, right? And it's like, it's not like every day. You know, you don't want to, like, text your friends every single day. There's something else that's like, you know, it's hard, but it's always going to be hard for years to come, as best as I can tell. And, and the hard just doesn't go away week after week and month after month and year. And we just can start to feel dry. We can start to feel thirsty. We can start to feel parched. Maybe it has to do with just, you know, we've lost our taste for God's word. And so we just aren't loving to drink deeply from the word of God like we used to. And there's just kind of this dryness that says, I don't know, I read a few verses and it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. And so I stop reading it. This dryness of, this spiritual dryness comes so easily to us, doesn't it? Maybe for some of you it's related to a, a season of kind of feeling depression, feeling the blues in your life. And there's this spiritual dryness that goes along with that. Listen to me. Jesus promises that the Spirit of God satisfies thirsty souls. Now that doesn't mean we won't ever be thirsty again. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with you if you're feeling thirsty and dry today. But what it means is that if you're feeling thirsty and dry today, Jesus promises you His Spirit to dwell in you. And what does that Spirit specialize in? One of the things He specializes in is satisfying dry and parched and thirsty souls. 
And so what do we do? We don't just shrug our shoulders at the Spirit. We embrace this promise. We believe it. We cherish it. And we say, God, thank you for pouring out your Spirit who does satisfy thirsty souls just like my soul is thirsty today. I'm going to move on. (laughs) Promise number four about the Spirit from John's Gospel. He guides us into truth. John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Listen, the Spirit of God leads us into all truth, by which Jesus does not mean all facts about astrophysics. As best as I can. The Spirit hasn't led me into all facts about astrophysics anyway, right? Teenagers, I'm sorry, he doesn't tend to lead us into all truth in the way that it's like, I'm going to ace my test. Just watch me pray, you know. Um, No studying at all. Calculus is going to be a cinch, you know. Like, it's not quite that. But what kind of truth? He leads us into all truth that we need for true life and godliness. He leads us into all truth that we need for life in Jesus Christ. He leads us into all truth that we need in order to be sanctified and in order to become like Christ. You remember what Jesus prays in John 17? Sanctify them in your truth. That's the kind of truth that the Holy Spirit will lead you into. The kind of truth that you need in the journey of becoming more and more like Jesus as the years go by. He guides us into all truth. Promise number five about the Spirit. He glorifies Christ. You want to see Jesus as more glorious? You tired of shrunken down views of Jesus? You want to see Jesus in all of his bigness, in all of his glory? You want to see Jesus a little bit more accurately for who he truly is? How's that going to happen? It's going to happen as we pick up this book which is given to us by the Spirit and we cry out and we say, Spirit, will you open my eyes to see a little more deeply who Jesus is? And then listen to this promise. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 7. I'm sorry, wrong verse. John chapter 16, verse 14 says, He, this is Jesus promising about the Spirit. He will glorify me, Jesus says. You want to know Jesus more? You want to see Jesus in all his glory? That comes about by the Spirit and his work in, his li- in our lives. Moving on to promise number six. What else does the Spirit do? He empowers us for mission. Remember we were talking earlier, you run into ministry barriers and you just think, I, don't, I want to be engaging and loving people in my neighborhood. I just don't know what to do. Think of what Jesus says shortly before his final departure in John chapter 20, verses 21 and 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So there's mission. Father sent me on a mission. Now I'm sending you to continue that mission. But notice the connection. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit empowers us for mission. As we go through that list, what are we getting at here? This is the first application point that we're talking about this morning. And the others won't be quite so long. But the first application point of believing the promises we have about the Spirit. Embracing them and cherishing them in our hearts with gladness. First application point, believe the promises. 
Application point number two, ask for more. Ask for more. Jesus promised the Spirit to us and promised these wonderful things about what the Spirit will do. And what do we do with these promises as we believe them? We take them back to God and say, God, you've done this for me. Would you do it even more for me? You've satisfied my soul when it's been dry and thirsty. Will you do that even more? You led me into truth I needed to become more sanctified like Jesus. Will you do that even more? You led me in reaching out to, will you do that even more? We keep going back and asking for more. Now somebody says, wait, John 14 says that Jesus will ask and will receive the Spirit. Yes, but Jesus also taught us to ask for the Spirit. Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So what do we do? We ask. And we keep asking for more of what Jesus promised us. And we just take the promises of Jesus that we're cherishing. We take them back to God and say, God, this is what you said the Spirit would do. Would you keep doing that more and more in my life? Application point number one, believe the promises. Application point number two, ask for more. Application point number three, it's not just a matter of believing those promises and praying about them. But number three, follow the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. While Jesus lived on earth, the disciples learned to honor God in their daily lives by following Jesus. And now that Jesus has given us another helper, we learn to honor God by following that helper. This is what it means to follow Jesus in a lot of ways. Following Jesus means following the Spirit. They're not two different tracks of the Christian life. Following Jesus means following how the Spirit guides us. Following the Spirit is essential, not optional for the Christian life. And bear in mind that the guidance of the Holy Spirit will never be contrary to the Holy Scriptures. So let's not play any shenanigans here by trying to blame our sin on the Holy Spirit. You know, God told me that. No, He didn't. No shenanigans. The, the guidance of the Holy Spirit is never contrary to what he revealed in, in his holy scriptures. But this includes going to him in raw moments and asking him to help. Like, God, you've called me to love my enemies. I find that really hard to do. Would you guide me in how to do this? Would you have called me to, to love my wife as Christ loved the church? I find that hard to do. Would you guide me in it? God, you've called me to raise these kids and sometimes I find that hard to do. Would you guide me in how to do that? God, you've called me to love my neighbors and sometimes I, I just feel like I'm too busy to do that. Would you guide me in how I'm actually going to do that? You've called me to love the poor and everybody in my culture disregards the poor. Seems like it would be a lot easier to disregard them. How am I going to do this, Lord? It involves going to him in raw moments and asking for guidance. See, we not only believe the promises and ask for more, but then we begin taking simple steps of faith, simple steps of obedience, simple steps of discipleship. Just saying, God, I've got your word and I've got your spirit illuminating the path forward and I'm just gonna take the simple steps of faith, the simple steps of obedience that you're laying in front of me as I keep following you and your guidance for my life. Remember what Brennan talked about earlier? I didn't learn something new 
but I did learn to lean on him. And I wonder if for some of us or many of us here today, there's a helpful reminder as we look at what the the book of John says about the Holy Spirit as we listen to the teaching of Jesus here. I wonder if for many of us here, it's, it's not so much a matter of just learning something new. It's a matter of learning to lean on the Holy Spirit increasingly in our lives. Learning to follow how this helper that Jesus has given to us is leading us in the pathway of discipleship. Learning to follow God by following his word led by his spirit whom his son has given to us by grace. So today, as we wrap up, this is, this is what I hope will happen. I hope that we'll be positioned to right now and tomorrow and throughout this week keep walking forward in the pathway of following Jesus while we just embrace this precious gift of the Spirit that Jesus has given to us for our good and for His glory. Not ignoring or minimizing or setting aside God in us, but cherishing this vibrant, living, active presence of God in us, all by His grace, all for our good and all for His glory. That's what I hope for. Tab, you can come and lead us and lead us forward.